you guys, how was tour, Bryn? It was great. It was it was very fun and long and exhausting. But it was good. Did you eat a lot of gas station food? I tried to avoid it. <laughs> I tried to avoid eating gas station food. Uh, we ate a lot of hummus. Okay. Right kept, on. Kept stopping eating hummus. And Strong pita. move for the car, I guess. Just like dip some pita in hummus. Yeah. You're technically dip, dip eating something little, healthy. Dip a little hummus in there. Stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know like I know when I'm in the big. tour van, I like to eat uh like a like a really stinky cheese. And uh, I'll often eat an onion like it's an apple and then just <laughs> breathe all over everybody for a while. Yeah, my move mm-hmm. my move was uh, getting uh, those like freeze-dried anchovies. Oh, yeah. And just letting mm. them de-thaw on the, on the dash. <laughs> <laughs> Make a little like uh, anchovy tuna salad. Like get a can of anchovies, open it up, mix it in with your tuna, yeah. Limburger cheese on a cracker. Perfect. You got to heat them up on the dash first, though. And when everybody's <laughs> like really getting mad at you about the stench, you got to really loudly insist you have to let them sweat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really understand why anyone would get mad about that. I mean, it doesn't factor in anyone else in any way. Um, I, I think that it's, it creates a, a, a nice vibe in the car. <laughs> yeah, a nice um, funky vibe. Like yeah, you, you're t- you, like t- a... you turn on the defroster so yeah, it yeah. goes a little faster. <laughs> it kind of feels like you're on a ship in like the 17, 1800s or something. You're just like, yeah, we're just all eating salt cod and like... And they're also very appreciative of all the uh, like molding oranges that I put around so we mm-hmm. don't get scurvy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it doesn't, the mold doesn't matter. The mold's good for you because it's got, uh, you know, it's technically a fungus so it's like eating mushrooms. There's penicillin in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, so besides some of those arguments, uh, no, the shows were great. Thanks everybody. Uh, I assume we're starting the show now. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks everybody who listens to the show, who came to the shows. Um, there was a couple beepers out there. Um, so thanks for coming. It was a good Hell time. Yeah. Well, it's great that you got back to uh, the the Big Apple, New York yeah, City. Yeah, Big Apple. Uh, just in time to be on the episode where we talk about Kissinger fucking croaking. Finally, <laughs> finally, God finally damn, happened. the man was clinging to life. A I didn't actually see evil. what did he what did he die of? It, I just thought that he died at his home. Uh, farting. Yeah, mm-hmm. being okay. too fucking old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he died. Of- Re- he had a deal with the Green Reaper to die at exactly a hundred, but he lied to the public about his birthday so it wouldn't be so obvious. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there was like a a death like reason. It's sort of just like he was one hundred years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at that point you need more of a reason to be alive than you need a reason to die. Right? How is this <laughs> happening? All the adrenochrome and and mm-hmm. like soul eating. He was definitely doing the the dang um, what do you call it? Dementor shit. Mm-hmm. Surviving off of oh, sucking people's souls out. S- yeah, 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 sucking, what? surviving off the souls he sucked out of people's bodies. It's weird to think about because, like, I'm 32, so when I was born, Henry Kissinger was 68. So mm-hmm. during my entire life, it would have been perfectly reasonable for him to die at any moment. That's yeah. true, and it yeah. took until now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's crazy to imagine like reaching 70 and then it's like, how about just another 30 years of life? It's like as as much as we've all lived yeah. at this point, give or take, especially when you factor in that when you're a baby or a young child, you don't like remember that much. So 
I mean, I guess when you get old, you can start losing your faculties as well. I mean, like, that, that's an interesting thought, though, because like one, it's weird when you're like 70 and you're like, all right, just cleared the two thirds mark, ready to bang the rest of this out for a while. Yeah. But also like when you're that old, does do your like 20s and 30s start to feel like when you were like three? does to me right now like are you are you 75 years old and you're like i don't even remember my 35th birthday party i couldn't even tell you who i was married to <laughs> yeah it's weird it's weird to imagine because it's like every year that passes you're more and more of a different person than you were at like any given time in the past so at a certain point yeah it's like if you've lived another if you lived half a lifetime since your 30s or 20s or whatever you're just like they're lost to the sands of time kind of it's so weird because, like, I feel like guys like Kissinger, though, basically didn't change. Like, when you have yeah. that much influence and power, you just force your local environment to change around you. And when you're Kissinger, your local environment is, like, interacting with heads of major national countries, like, around the world, like China and India and, you know, Russia and Brazil and stuff. So it's got to be so odd. Like, I was just watching, I watched that Fall of the House of Usher which was marginally better than most of the other kind of like mm. cheap what if rich people died stuff we've been getting recently. I did kind of like it. The po Edgar Allan Poe stuff was okay. And then I've also been watching the most recent season of Fargo. And these both have characters in them who are extremely like high class, high paid lawyers for super, super wealthy families who are basically above the law. And one of them is played by like the scariest, most monotone Dr. Killinger from the Venture Brothers ass dude you've ever seen. And the, and the one on Fargo is Dave Foley. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's been Dave Foley. I, and I love it because you can see the Kissinger in both of these characters just in different forms. Like Arthur Pym from The Fall of the House of Usher is very much like the real Kissinger, like the ruthless murderer, the like doesn't say a lot, just kills kind of and then like always gets what he wants, always knows what to do compared to the Dave Foley high powered lawyer who feels much more like the Kissinger we were sold the kind of like oh he's just weird who knows what his politics are he, <laughs> he just likes to get along with people and make deals <laughs> he's a, a little kooky a and reasonable quirked up. quirky uh, <laughs> you know executive who's just making making logical choices when other people are too scared to do that mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I gotta say I love I, it feels like a lot of the major news outlets like collaborated on all using a different way to like very vaguely like hint at his legacy. Him. Well, no, a couple were like only a couple did that. It was like Rolling Stone was Rolling the biggest Stone, one. Rolling Stone, I was really surprised with. Yeah. And this is the thing: like Rolling Stone has for its entire the entirety of its life been owned by like a complete fascist freak who's like, right. Yeah, Rolling Stone is like racist yeah. and sexist, mm -hmm. and um, then all of a sudden that person sold the company, and now the the monkeys run the carnival and <laughs> yeah. uh, their headline was Henry Kissinger war criminal beloved by America's ruling class finally died, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty nice of them. Yeah. yeah. Like most places are doing stuff like the New York times. Uh, he said he was both celebrated and reviled. And I think I saw someone call him controversial. Oh, okay. Um, you he know, was a land of contrast. Yeah. That, he's a land of contrast is what they, yeah. <laughs> Who can say what is good or bad? Yeah. Oh, it's not my place. CNN it. calls him a dominant, dominating and polarizing force in U.S. foreign policy. Dominating, <laughs> certainly one of the guys to ever have been alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what is how you what is the point of that headline? It's like are are they really pitching it? Are like all right, our target audience is a guy who reads headlines 
heard someone died, knows nothing. Mm-hmm. What's our what's our elevator pitch? And it's like, some people liked him, some people didn't. And then everyone, like the whole newsroom gets up and claps and they're like, <laughs> incredible. It sums it up perfectly. Well, How could you possibly say there's not truth in that? It's also funny because like Kissinger's role was always like, super unclear he always seemed to like have his finger in every pie and like international and domestic policy and Mm -hmm. business and banking and all of these other things and so it's like i think most people know generally who henry kissinger is but if you're not like a, a ruling class freak or a weird internet marxism freak you probably don't know that fucking much about Henry Kissinger, unless you're like mm-hmm. some real old person who's like, he did a great job in Southeast Asia, in which case you should <laughs> just croak already. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if you were like, it, it the, like the killing fields wasn't that long ago, right? Like, <laughs> it, like, what's that, a documentary? No, the just fucking the event, the, the actual Chimera event. Rouge. Yeah, yeah. But it's um, like people can't even fucking remember the Ukraine war, Bryn. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah. know, but I mean, <laughs> I was gonna say, I bet it was a little but more. But I feel like if you were 30 years old in like the 80s, mm-hmm. you probably remember yeah. Cambodia. Sure. So you're saying uh, a 70 year old remembers him? Yeah, minimum. I guess. I, guess. Yeah, I was gonna minimum. say probably Shit. like ba- back when it was more common to like watch the news on on TV, like when you didn't have social media, and you were like, I'll turn on the TV and see what's going on. It's like you probably would see his dumb fucking face on the news occasionally doing press conferences and shit it's yeah. weird how far we've come along in time though because like your your analogy or your your explanation was making a lot of sense to me until i realized my dad is almost 60 and he was a teenager in the 80s <laughs> yeah damn yeah my <laughs> i i keep trying to have less and less expectations for people especially americans in terms sure. of their memory and historical understanding uh but i keep failing <laughs> uh but yeah i mean Kissinger, I feel like one of the thing about Kissinger's death was it's become almost entirely a meme. Yeah. Like it doesn't actually matter at all. Like as far as I could tell, like he's not like really doing anything anymore. I think he's been doing like galas and like, you know, black tie journalism events and shit for the last like 10, maybe 20 years. Like I'm he maybe does some consulting, but like at this point it mostly was just like you know, he was getting that 24-7 suck job by wow. the ruling class. Vox, Vox, of all people, uh, their article on Henry Kissinger's death was what Henry Kissinger wrought. Okay. And then the lead is, one of America's most important statesmen gave the world a series of diplomatic breakthroughs and hundreds of thousands of bodies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just pretty, pretty damning, I think. New York Times one was... Um, Henry Kissinger is dead at 100, shaped the nation's Cold War history. Yeah. (laughs) And the lead is the most powerful secretary of state of the post-war era. He was both celebrated and reviled. Okay. His complicated legacy still resonates in relations with China, Russia, and the Middle East. Well, to to the credit. By the way, the Middle East is always a single country. It's just one country. It's just the Middle East. The Iran-backed Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the the New York Times writers, they just picture like like a million terrorists in in, uh, turbans and then like 10,000 feral hogs. And that's all they can see. Right. And then uh, the shining, the shining light warriors of Salon uh, of Israel. Yeah. Of Israel. Right. (laughs) And the Europeans of Turkey. Don't forget. Um, Of course. (laughs) Oh yeah. The, the... (laughs) (laughs) yeah. 
And the uh, Ukraine, but, of course. Well, not, yeah, not but, anymore because they're not going to get to join. But uh, let's not even talk about Armenia and Azerbaijan. But um, <laughs> the to, to the credit of all the like fucking dipshits who constantly the say lion things Assad like of Syria, yeah, <laughs> the, the dipshits who constantly say like, oh, there was a, so much to be said on either side of Kissinger. That is essentially the same message we've been getting, at least in English, from the Chinese government, because as yeah. far as anybody can tell. Kissinger was basically their like point man. Like that was China's guy in the U.S. that they had a relationship. He was like mm-hmm. Dennis Rodman to Kim Jong Un, but in China. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, Kim needs something. He calls Dennis. Xi needs something. He calls Henry. Weird as that, as much of an odd couple as that is, it seems like it was true because Kissinger visited earlier this year before he died. He actually really? went okay. to China. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. And China is like, damn, you really helped us out there, Henry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what he was doing. I'll be honest. I I don't know. It kind of seems like, to me, the impression that I get when people say Kissinger opened up China to the West is that what actually happened was that Kissinger opened up the West to China and made mm-hmm. it think made us think it was our idea because mm, he realized yeah. that having a friendly relationship with China was going to be important going forward. And if he could just secure that bag for himself and no one else, that was good enough for Henry. <laughs> yeah, that does seem like probably what the deal the deal was. Um yeah, there's like a CNN headline. China mourns Kissinger, a most valued old friend. Yeah, the, it, it's funny. Um, <laughs> uh, that This article says it's from Hong Kong. Um, mm, interesting. It says uh, Kissinger's death was mourned by on Chinese social media Thursday, where his passing became the top trending topic on heavily moderated mar- mar- I don't know why they say heavily moderated. <laughs> Bryn, it's, it's, it's censored by the Chinese spooks. Unlike the U.S. social media, where the yeah. government has no hand in it at all. <laughs> Facebook is, is just great. the Wild West. That's yeah. basically, yeah, it's uh, even freer on, than fortune. On Weibo, it says, farewell, old friend of the Chinese people, said a top comment with thousands of likes. Mm-hmm. Thousands isn't that much, by the way. No. Yeah, what are you, this, like, this is like the Riddler with his... 30 followers or whatever on social media. In that <laughs> and if movie. this is true to like any degree, it does stink a little bit of Chinese exceptionalism. It's like, how does the rest of Asia feel about Henry Kissinger? <laughs> China, mm-hmm. have you asked them? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a certain kind of, I mean, I don't trust CNN to tell me like, give me the real temperature of, of Henry Kissinger's relationship with China. Uh-huh. Um, they could just be cherry-picking these posts, too. Like you said, thousands is not that much. Maybe there's some that are like, well, this guy was bad, but he helped us. Chinese well, and also, like, media. the memes that are truly fire about Henry Kissinger that are happening in China right now aren't even really translatable because it's not just, like, translate the Chinese characters into English. There's also, like probably a decade plus of meme context that we're just missing like it could just mm-hmm. be like henry's face yeah. kissinger's face on like a, a lao gan ma jar with like spicy chili oil inside <laughs> and it, that could be the funniest thing we've ever seen and we just don't <laughs> know that it is yeah how could we possibly know uh this article also points out that it says uh, chinese state media highlighted kissinger's friendship with china Noting that he visited the country more than 100 times over a half century, state broadcaster CCTV called him a living fossil. 
who witnessed the development of U.S.-China relations. I'm not sure I see that as positive. I mean, I don't know. I, I think the context is that in China, elders are just considered to be like super respected. So if you say someone's a living fossil, you're like, I'm heaping the most respect on you, old boy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if that's just like a, tr- a thing that doesn't translate the best as a, as a compliment. Yeah, like in America, we're like, man, that guy is so old. And he's like, what did you say, Sonny? I can still kick your ass. And in China, you're like, man, that guy is so old. And he's like, wow, thank you so much for saying so. There's also like just like a general like China is in a position where they're trying. It seems to me anyway, trying to be like supporting or or showing their like good faith to Uh the other superpower. Like, yeah. remember, we're not at war. So, like, a lot of, like, fucking diplomacy shit is just being like, oh, your old fucking powerful guy died. Like, condolences, Joe Biden. Like, yeah, I know yeah. you really mm-hmm. gave a shit about this guy or whatever. Like, doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that, like, their political stances align with anything Kissinger did. But, I yeah. mean, Kissinger was, like, a fervent, like, marketeer guy of, like, Let's get every country to trade with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we, that's the whole, you know, third, fourth Reich uh, policy is just like, let's make the entire world our marketplace mm-hmm. um, that he was at the forefront of and the spearhead of. Like he, he, so it's not surprising that if it helped China get to the point that they are, like they mm-hmm. wouldn't be like, hey, man, thanks. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, well, like yeah, China's yeah. diplomacy machine is fucking incredible, too. Like, I mean, just of all the countries that have ever existed, China may have maybe not like the best in terms of like moral or ideological terms, but just in terms of like raw effectiveness, the Chinese diplomacy diplomacy machine is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, to think that they're in an economic coalition where the two other largest partners are Russia and India, two of the most like nationalist, regressive reactionary countries outside of the u.s in Mm -hmm. the world and they're just like we are going to make this work and we are going to stick it to the u.s (laughs) with the help of brazil and south africa (laughs) yeah Yeah, china is just like has the energy they get like a group project with like two of the biggest cut-ups in the class who also don't like each other and they're just like i don't give a fuck you guys are going to do some of the work getting an a i'm going to do i'm going to do more of the work but we're getting an a you guys are going to contribute you're getting a's too and i don't I, I get graded on group participation. So if you think I'm going to let you sit around and do fucking nothing, you got <laughs> thing coming. You are coming to my house all weekend. You're sleeping on my mom's couch. Yeah. <laughs> She'll make us delicious food. So, you know, hang out. We are like, having pizza poppers. Mm-hmm. We're having dumplings. <laughs> She's going to make them. Uh, it's going to be good. We Come can watch PG-13 movies after 10, but until 10, we're <laughs> working on this. <laughs> yeah, my parents do not know what PG-13 means, uh, so it's fine. We can watch them. I have a nuke. This is happening. <laughs> <laughs> I have a nu- <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Now I have a nuke. And none of you are telling France. <laughs> if you tell France, it's over between us. You think because, uh, oh, they're the junior partner. They control their own nukes. They won't go tell the U.S. Yes, they will. <laughs> they're little bitches and they're not invited. <laughs> if we finish it all, and my dad is going to check it to make sure it's good. If we finish it all, we can play Halo multiplayer. Hell yes. I have an Xbox. I have After four controls. And then Brazil is like, I'm in. I'm so in. <laughs> Yeah, Brazil Who's is running Brazil right now. Lulu, yeah, Lulu, yeah, it's Lula. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, what's yeah, that? He's is, down. is Bolsonaro still gonna? I, I was gonna make a Bolsonaro joke that he like drags himself there with an oxygen tank because he's like, <laughs> look, the tenth time you get COVID, it's not contagious anymore, so it's fine. <laughs> 
I don't even know what's up with Bolsonaro. Um, if you Google his name, it's just like a bunch of news reports about Lula undoing Bolsonaro era policies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, who a cares month ago, they said guy? they are, are going to ch- bozo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rip bozo. A month ago, they said lawmakers in Brazil are going to attempt to charge Bolsonaro with a coup. But like, who fucking nice. knows how that shit is going to shake out? You know, he's got so much CIA protection because he actually sure. ran the country. He's the successful Juan Guaido. He's like the oh, yeah. the one that worked. So they give him mm-hmm. money and a place to live and shit. Yeah. If I had to guess, I would say it's probably very similar to Trump, which is just like hanging out at whatever his equivalent of Mar-a-Lago is. Uh making bitchy social media posts, doing like interviews with whatever right wing <laughs> like news organizations he can get on, but mostly just like vibing and hanging out like whatever, you know, like Trump is mostly just like playing golf at Mar-a-Lago, taking pictures with people and mm-hmm. like going on and eventually going on the campaign trail. But I feel like Bolsonaro probably is just like doing media, doing drugs, sleeping. Yeah. He's going to be the third mic on the Bruce Springsteen Obama podcast. <laughs> <laughs> With special guest Javier Millet, all the way from Argentina. Thank you so much for joining us, Javier. And his clone dog. Oh, the clone dog is going to be on too. Wow. Five Conans all woofing in unison. This week, our guest is Commander. <laughs> oh, and Commander has uh, tried to get in a fight with Conan the Barbarian, and Commander is dead. Commander has fallen. Uh, the Secret Service is is celebrating like the end of uh, the special edition of Star Wars. The leadership, the, of <laughs> the leadership of South America is fucking wild right now because we talked a bunch about Javier Malay on the bonus episode we just did. But like Lula's in charge of Brazil. Uh, Luis Arce is in charge. Arce? Arce? I'm not sure how to say it. Yeah. Is in charge of Bolivia. And then like we have a few other like somewhat left leaning uh, like presidencies i know i'm not remembering all of them i think peru like who's leading peru right now isn't he the teacher um oh yeah did that guy win the marxist uh former teacher oh pedro castillo mm. um did, did he uh, did he get oh, ousted? No. i think he got ousted mm. and then dina boluarte yes. who took over <laughs> after him is now being blamed for the deaths of protesters. Oh, so actually, Peru is in a bad situation. Never mind what I said. Damn, Damn I missed that. <laughs> it's, just, it's going back and forth constantly. You know what? The, Pedro Castillo did win, though. He, I thought he, he won like, the election. Did he get kicked out? I think we were talking about it because he was getting like investigated for quote-unquote corruption. Like they yeah, were going to find they, a way they, to railroad him out of town. They did the corruption thing on him, and it seems like it, it was just such a quick blitz, and they applied it with so much force that it actually it worked. Uh, yeah, because yeah. he he only served until the seventh of December last year, so it's it's been almost a year since he was ousted, actually. And so Damn. Dina Boluarte has just been running around. Who was his second in command, I believe? So not totally unlike Burkina Faso in that way. Okay. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. You know what's funny is like when you were talking about like the the situation in South America I, is like roughly what a lot of like blue check liberals think. American politics is like where they're like, you know, you have some states that are like your blue havens for the communist states. Yeah, yeah. And then you have New like, York and, LA. and then you have the fascist red states. And then you have, you know, the Cheeto is trying to do like, they think that there's like coups happening constantly mm-hmm. and like democracy is at risk as though we actually have one. Um, yeah. Michigan then, is Peru. <laughs> uh, Bolivia is Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's another important electoral state? Ohio is Chile. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead then, of being, instead <laughs> of being square, it's long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like in these states, you actually have like, like, you know, presidents being kicked out for being too left wing. You have mm-hmm. like what feels like could be a brewing like conflict. And then in the, in the U S it's just like, you have, 
like left-wing fascists and right-wing fascists ruling states, basically. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting in South America because it's like we've talked a couple times recently about how the Monroe Doctrine is kind of falling apart. But of course, Mm. these things don't fall apart all at once. So what we're seeing is like the gradual... Uh, like the aggregate effect of politics in South America in particular, but I think in most of Latin America in general, is swinging leftward, but it's swinging leftward super unevenly, and it's generating these really intense pockets of resistance as it goes. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, leftward swings are not institutionally backed by superpowers, uh, usually. They are bottom-up affairs and so you get a lot of uh bourgeois and other forms of like reactionary resistance to it so it's been really really odd i mean like the election in chile always comes to mind because the gabriel boric or boric i'm not sure how to say his name either the guy who got elected there like he's a sock them he's like bernie basically yeah, yeah. He, like he likes yeah. israel he's like not very good on anti-imperialism at all he has decent domestic policies policies he's like fairly nice to labor unions but like he defeated a guy who was literally the grandson of a Nazi who fled yeah. to Chile. So <laughs> you got to like, you got to put these things in context. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. That, South America is doing uh, incrementalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that meme really feels like it always rings true. That's like every South American election puppies for everyone. 50%. I am literally a Nazi 49%. <laughs> and also you get diarrhea. <laughs> Just right down the middle, wherever you go. Uh, then there's also um, what they say, Gustavo Petro in Colombia, who's oh, like yeah. also a sort of like m- middle left guy or whatever. Yeah, um, he's like more liberal, basically, but he's like one of those liberals where you kind of raise an eyebrow. You're like, are you going to accomplish something? You might actually. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was <laughs> like a he, he was a like M19 gorilla in the mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so that's cool um, oh yeah that he, reminds me actually because in in terms of gorillas uh becoming politicians i think that's what's happening in the philippines right now is that nice. they have the yeah, gorillas cool. have reached an agreement with the government to yes yeah, so philippines communist rebels say they agreed to resume peace talks and i saw the news come out that they were going to potentially become a political movement instead of an armed resistance movement and try to enter government. Mm. But now I'm seeing some headlines from right after that from the military chief that says Philippines won't halt operations against communist guerrillas. So I'm starting to doubt that that will actually happen now. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. they won't do that? Oh, they yeah, won't I feel halt. Like if the, I see. Because I think the communist guerrillas need assurance from the government that if they re-enter public life as political figures, they won't just be like assassinated. Sure. And yeah. if the military won't even stop going out and shooting them, then that's no reassurance at all. So, for sure. Damn. Yeah. Uh, Gustavo Petro uh, is quoted in 2022 as saying uh, he's raising taxes on the wealthiest 4,000 Colombians and said neoliberalism will destroy the country. So, mm. yeah, cut off the something. neo, and I totally agree, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got ne- you got neoliberalism, crony capitalism. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I feel like neoliberalism is sort of a, a weasel word, right? Like, it's a little like, bit, yeah. I, I feel like we're just talking about capitalism, but it's like that is like whatever you're defining as neoliberalism is like global politics. Like, it's it's yeah. it is the entirety of the American, you know, the Fourth Reich 
as mm-hmm. a concept is is neoliberalism. But yeah. I, I mean, feel again, like, it's not like I feel like if you're saying China. that shit in South America as a politician who is now the president, mm-hmm. like you don't mean it in the red scare Twitter way. Like you mean it in the actual like Yeah, yeah. like um, identifying what neoliberalism really is, which is essentially like the middle stage between liberalism and fascism that was agreed to be sustainable by the global ruling class. I which it like isn't, it, but they think it is. I feel like it it's it's more accurately defined as like these like the now that it has settled fascism winning like the 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 non the non-rising part the plateau of fascism so interesting like kind of like uh and this is gonna give liberals so much ammunition but luckily they don't listen to this show kind of like (laughs) how um kind of like how during the bolshevik revolution you had war communism which was a different version of communism that was for establishing the country, but once you're actually administrating the country, you can't do war communism. That doesn't get people you fed. You can't and do it forever. Yeah. So you can't just do regular ass fascism. You just do it to like win a war, and then you rearrange a bunch of places. You do a bunch of settler colonialism, and when the dust settles, you're like, okay, we can recede into neoliberalism now as like a resting state. It's huh, the it's the it's the decaying rule of you know the people who won. Right, the, the desecrated husk of fascism. Yeah, right. I, I guess that's the thing is it's like what you can do war communism and then like peace communism, but you can only really do war fascism. Like peacetime fascism is that's why you're always like looking for a new enemy. Well, well that's why it's such a, that's why it's such a that's why war communism needs its own term. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. yeah, it's different from regular communism compared <laughs> to fascism, which is pretty much always the same thing. Yeah, right. But I mean, that's why fascism is so hard to define for people because. It's not a political end into itself. Right. Like fascism is the forward thrust to get to complete rule by corporations and elites. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. now that we have that, there's no real reason to do fascism, which which is why the whole like 2016 to 2020 scare of like rising fascism in the United States was so... uh, was so dull toothed and, and limp wristed because mm-hmm. it, everyone kind of already had like the sense that like, what would that mean though? Right. Like, what would, mm-hmm. like, what would it even be trying to accomplish because we already live in that world. Yeah, and in a sense, there's like a perverse correctness to the weird right-wingers during that time who were always saying, like, look, if you stomp out fascism, then you're basically stomping out the American way of life. And all the liberals Mm. recoiled in horror, and they were like, that can't be true. That must not be true. I hate you, and I hate myself, and I hate everyone. (laughs) (laughs) The the communists, I think, were all kind of like, well, yeah, isn't that the point? Like, isn't that what we're all here to do? And then it turns out that for the past decade or century, and then ninety eight percent of America was like, "No, that's not what we're here to do. We're all very comfortable being fascists, even if our lives are terrible." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And it was that's kind a, of a rough that's, time. And that's the thing that always fucking confuses me or, or makes me feel like an alien. It's just like if you already are supporting all of the mechanisms of the fascist state you live in, wouldn't you actually just be like, "Okay, that's great. We can have." Two million people, slave labor. We can have concentration mm-hmm. camps at the border, but give me the benefit. Like, why don't you want to run around in your fucking Ford truck, going to the shopping malls, and like having healthcare and like living like the 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 lord you want to be? Like, why do you feel like you should also have nothing? Mm-hmm. So confusing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's what we heard. I was looking this up because I thought it was from a Marxist source, but it's actually from Anti-Oedipus, and it's Deleuze and Guattari paraphrasing uh, Spinoza, who I do respect, but D&G, kind of a bunch of a clown show, if you ask me. What? No, they're good. (laughs) They are good, and I like reading them. And like a lot of very flawed philosophers, their ideas are extremely... fecund for mobilization like you can actually do something with them Hmm. very much with like Foucault who was also wrong about a lot of things there's a lot of stuff you can actually do with that compared to guys like Marx or Hegel who I think were much more correct where their ideas are hard to mobilize because you have to get it right you actually have to do the thing correctly (laughs) but anyway the quote that I was reminded of is um uh a paraphrase of Spinoza quote why do men fight for their servitude as stubbornly as though it were their salvation yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Why do they? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And Spinoza was asking this in the 1600s in like <laughs> Portugal or whatever. Damn. So. Come a long way since then. <laughs> I mean, in America, there's like a lot of factors that go into it. Like you have people who there's a lot of propaganda about like welfare queens and a lot of like racism that is tied into it. Where like specifically like white reactionary fascist type people is like they they don't want they don't want more handouts from the government or what they perceive as handouts because they're like well i don't want the worse poor people than me to get them and i'm getting enough mm-hmm. yeah i mean i guess and it, it's weird though because like the difference between american society and most of south america is that like most of south america is not a successful colonial project like argentina mm-hmm. is argentina is a white country more or less But the rest of South America is incomplete or utterly failed colonial projects Mm -hmm. that then had a, you know, century of neocolonialism, mostly run by the U.S. sweep across them. So I think the positionality of being able to look at the group who has a little bit less than you and say, well, they shouldn't get any more has a bit of a different context than it does in like the white picket fence sitcomified America that we we live in the ruins of. Mm-hmm. So going back to, I think there are some listeners who might be interested in what you said about D&G. Uh, they, they love a little philosophy corner sure. sometimes on this yeah. show. <laughs> so yeah. what, what, what do you disagree with about uh, anti-Oedipus and I, capitalism and schizophrenia? I, I don't necessarily have that much to say on any of their particular arguments because to be honest, I only I did I only read Anti Oedipus and I read it quite a while ago because I was listening <laughs> to some podcasters who were uh talking pretty fervently about it. But I think my issue is primarily just with using vitalism as your primary mode of understanding. Uh, philosophical ideas. And I think that's reflected in the way that you'll hear Deleuze in particular. Uh, I actually quite like Guattari. Microrevolutions in Brazil is a great book. You should mm. read it. Um, but um, he also was a huge weeb, which is a thing French people do sometimes. Why did <laughs> Japan a bunch of times. Yeah, Guattari <laughs> is super interesting. But uh, Deleuze, who I have more of a problem with, I think once said... Um, philosophical concepts are, are something like philosophy is exactly like a box of tools. And he was like, philosophical concepts are just tools that you create in order to do things, you know, mm-hmm. theoretically. I, I, I'm paraphrasing wildly here, so I'm sorry to all the Deleuzians if I'm getting this terribly wrong. And I think that that <laughs> is highly effective, but totally incorrect. I think that's just utterly wrong. And I think that 
<laughs> it, it, it lacks in, in a, a type of like material analysis that requires a certain level of like inductive ontology that is just not present in the in the highly Spinozan, somewhat Nietzschean, also vaguely. There was another guy who was not that popular till Deleuze started borrowing really heavily Althazar? from him. No, Althazar's, I like him also. He has his own problems. Um, <laughs> they all no, no one's 100% right all the time. <laughs> Althazar didn't even read half the books he cited, but <laughs> really? he cited them really well. That's so I'm cool super torn on that situation. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. man was treating critical theory like it was a, a paper he had to finish at like 1 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's I've... the thing. At least Althazer had like big dick energy. Like Deleuze and Guattari are a couple of nerds in the basement, and I respect that. But like, it has its limits, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Deleuze is is interesting. In I feel like there hasn't been. I think that I think that Deleuze and Guattari go closest to analyzing post, like. Mark was writing about capital, capitalism, and I feel like in the hundred plus years that since he wrote about it, it has like significantly changed yeah. in terms of its relationship to um, exploitation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that they are some of the first people to really start to look at it as like, let's analyze this again. <laughs> And try to like take what Marx did and and apply it to what the actual the actual experience of living under like the mm -hmm. plateau of fascism is. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really interesting, and I think they're on the right path. I do agree that like they're sort of eschewing of 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 like dialectical analysis <laughs> well, kind of the, leads them to weird places but like they're, they're also just not what you would call a systematic thinker like they don't have like a cause a full cosmology of ideas and they wouldn't want one either the whole rhizomatic relationship of ideas thing kind of precludes that but yeah. like they just kind of have this like constellation of concepts that have a certain con somewhat ambiguous set of relationalities and while that can be absolutely useful I don't think that if you are trying to set up a like rigorous philosophical framework for understanding things that you're going to find that that I think if you try to apply it that way, you're going to find it introduces a ton of noise into your system because I think you're totally right. <laughs> what they're doing is reflecting the like schizophrenic or, or that's not really a great word, but it's the one they use. So it's we'll the one use they it. use. Yeah. It's, so the schizophrenic nature of what is essentially consumer capitalism, this right. like. Edward Bernays, advertisement-driven, 1940s, 50s, 60s type of capitalism that they would have been replying to. And I like that, and I do think that they introduce like a, a very uh, subjective, intersubjectivist element to it that borrows heavily from psychoanalysis, especially thanks to Guattari. But in some ways, it just ends up being... It, it's similar to cybernetics in that I like it, but it's just so far-reaching that it becomes incoherent at the edges and also in the middle sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I, I really like them and respect them for trying though. And I, and yeah. I, and I guess, I guess one of the reasons I'm, I really like anti-Oedipus um, is because, because it feels more like 
inspiring action. Like it feels like there's things you can identify mm-hmm. as like true in your individual life reading it as like, oh, this is actually a huge problem. Right. Um, and, and gives people places to focus on. But like, I do think it's time for somebody to make a more uh, specific and organized mm-hmm. like analysis of the current iteration of capitalist fascism that we live in. Um, I don't know. I just don't know if it's like, are we ever going to get some piece of writing that is going to light the flame under the workers of the consumer America? Like, I don't know if that's ever going to happen either. I don't know. I mean, like with like thinking of historical figures that could even pull it off. If you brought them into the present day, like maybe France Fanon could do yeah. it mm-hmm. um that's about the only name i can even think like fidel a younger fidel castro maybe mm-hmm. um but like you would need to not only it, it's scope right like we're not just respond like marx was writing in the birth of industrial capitalism yeah. which is like yeah. a great vantage point if you want to be able to break down the nitty-gritty of everything that's happening then and it must have seemed unbearably complex compared to the previous stage but now, I mean, you have to take information technology into account. You have to take the highly advanced activities of paramilitary operations, intelligence services, uh, various economies. You have to take into account the class composition of all the various industries in all the regions of all the countries. Like it gets out of hand pretty fast compared to Marx being able to go to like Manchester and be like, wow, these workers are in bad shape. Right. And yeah. then also just point to the industrialists and be like that guy in the hat. He's right. yeah, the yeah, guy yeah. up the, the hill in the, he owns the factory. <laughs> it's really yeah, yeah. quite obvious what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot more and like they're supported by the state. Like, yeah. hey, I mean, like a hundred years later, we can look at it like Legos, you know, compared to what we yeah. have now, which is like a fucking circuit board. Right. Um, and that's like the point of the evolution to some degree, is that it's of like course. the system has to become more uh, like like it can't just be a hydra where you cut off one guy's head with a big top hat and then like you've taken the factory back. It's like the ownership is like diversified and spread out, stratified, Mm -hmm. like, which is, which is if you really start to think about it. And I think one of the things that is illuminating from anti-Oedipus, uh, is that it, 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 uh, structurally or like tactically has changed Mm -hmm. where it's Mm -hmm. like, while I've obviously, you know, and this show obviously supports unions and labor organizing, like, and and it might be the only lever we have, or at least have invented right now, like, it feels like there are other levers that we haven't f- found in the darkness yet, mm-hmm. because things have changed so much um, that we could be pulling on, um, and just, we haven't actually uh, discovered. Well, it's um, like capitalism does this thing where it gradually learns how to cover its own tracks. And so like now yeah. we're living in the era where every new innovation to exploit us more is like this, as you say, just like the leadership, it's this diffuse thing that takes place over like billions of transactions and stuff. And so it's almost like we need to change our mode of attack from identifying individuals who 
or, or even roles, which might have been the move in like the 1980s and 90s when things were starting to get more corporatized, but weren't in the like full on information age yet. But now everything's not even roles anymore. It's processes. And we have to like almost do like process materialism right. compared to like the stat, the more static materialism of like ranking individuals by class structure now we have to start saying like oh what does it mean when a financial institution has a money transfer service and is a home equity lender and runs a retail banking operation and is also an international lender because they just acquired you know x and y international banking corporation from france or from belgium or whatever yeah so it's complicated uh, <laughs> I think it's actually simple. I think my takeaway from this conversation is uh, it's all pretty simple. But yeah, then gunfire also, bullet still, right? The gun still shoots a bullet, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> still does that. That's true. Yeah. But then also, like, you have these other, like, things that the working left, sometimes, like, sometimes I look at, like, the, the homeless no, homelessness numbers mm-hmm. and and prison population numbers and labor from those people, and it's just like, People who are working in, you know, I don't know, people like the DSA or the PSL or whatever, like, or, or, or labor organizing, it's just like, that's not considered mm-hmm. as like a possible pressure point on the system mm-hmm. or, or the process, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, those are really impactful and, and important nodes of the way the Reich works. Mm-hmm. Um because well, like, if uh, you looked at like slavery in the early, you know, in in the 171800s, like that was the pressure point because it was so obviously the way like half of the country was, you know, establishing uh wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and that was like what needed to be removed. Um and now it's so diffuse that people don't even really talk about it as I mean there's definitely like prison abolitionists, but it mm-hmm. it's all based on like some morality. Of yeah, like, well, this is inhumane rather it, than like some of these people are innocent or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's not a continuation of like the, the the materialist analysis that gets you to the idea of like, oh, unions could, if they were pointed in the right direction, actually be a vehicle for revolutionary or uh, quasi revolutionary change. Because right. precisely to your point about prison labor in particular, it's very very hard to make any kinds of changes for prison laborers in a country where we're just starting to realize that farm workers should probably be included under the regular umbrella of all workers <laughs> instead of being carved out of the fucking National Labor Relations Act yeah. for reasons that are explicitly racist. If you go look, it's, it was like so long ago that they didn't even have to hide it. They just tell you, they're immigrant workers. We don't wanna. That's the whole explanation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like there's Damn. so many assumptions, especially in America, mm-hmm. that are like that, that are like, well, they're not a, something we're interested in working on because they're not directly beneficial to our immediate uh, goals mm-hmm. um, or they are antithetical to our goals because we're somewhat based in white supremacy. Um, sure, yeah. So there's that whole other axis that like almost never gets actually addressed in, in quote unquote leftists or you know, socialist organizing. And, and that's such a great point. And it brings me around to something I've been meaning to talk about, which is my local Facebook group from the city I lived (laughs) in until I bought this house. 
because somebody posted something that is a little bit heartbreaking in the unfortunately named Holland is so ghetto Facebook group. But Interesting. You okay. have to be in the Holland is so ghetto Facebook group. I hate saying that name. Because Holland Informed and Holland Informed brackets the better one are both absolute nightmare groups run by idiot moderators and full of the most vile people you've ever seen in your life. So sure. here I am in Holland is so ghetto and somebody has posted LG is trying to erase our heritage because LG, the South Korean company, has bought um, something called the Old Wing Mission, which is the oldest building in Holland, Michigan. It was constructed in 1844. And of course, the problem here is capitalism, right? This is a South Korean country, uh, company. We basically run their com country. So this is basically an American company with the full sanction of the United States government going and buying a historic property so that they can illegally dump more fucking chemicals on the property, which is something they've already been in trouble for doing in Holland multiple times. Mm -hmm. So the people in the comments, of course, cannot identify when capitalism is the problem, cannot identify when imperialism is the problem. Uh -huh. And so you get absolute banger moron posts <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> hold on. Oh, I think they dirty deleted. So I actually have to go to my Twitter where I posted it because oh, it was nice. worth screen capping. <laughs> like but, the mods uh, they, deleted it or just like the people who posted it got too it, much backlash? Either one could have happened. It was really yeah. bad. So somebody hopped in the replies and said, screw China. <laughs> this, is, this is our Dutch heritage. China. <laughs> Screw China. And then you have the first reply says, LG is a Korean company, not mm -hmm. Chinese. Too and then the, the third reply says, well, this predates the Dutch settlers. So you were wrong <laughs> on every count. <laughs> Literally nothing you said was correct. <laughs> you were racist to your own detriment for no reason. And the only thing you got was you looked like a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they, uh, they got that. The only comment that has more than two likes is the original comment. Uh, which is has four reacts and one care react. Mm. Uh, Someone, Karen cares. Hugging a heart emoji. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People love to say that you're erasing our Dutch heritage, even <laughs> when you are accusing the wrong person and the thing that is getting erased is not Dutch at all. <laughs> as, as, Who made it then? Do you know? Uh, yeah, it was the, the town that was there before. I think it was German immigrants or something. It was considered one of the first settlements in the United in Michigan, but I think it was incomplete because they got driven out by the locals. Honestly, badass. Sure. Yeah. Um, I wish they had managed to do it a second time that <laughs> Holland, Michigan is a shithole. Never <laughs> lived there. That's my recommendation. <laughs> yeah. As someone who is a quarter Dutch, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> Exactly. Although another one of the comments is really funny where he's like, my homies owned that house, bought for 240, sold to LG for 1.9 million. Not bad. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should do that. Bought for 240. <laughs> buy, buy historical properties on the edge of uh, corporate properties and just wait for them to make an offer. It's not the worst idea I've ever heard if you're a horrible <laughs> psycho, which Holland, Michigan is full of because, again, it is an extremely Dutch town. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not my favorite heritage of myself. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you know why they originally called the group Holland is so ghetto? Like, is that 
It's because Holland is full of white people who think that if a bunch of Mexicans throw a party and it gets really loud, that it's going to bring down the property values. And they've okay. never actually seen like a ghettoized neighborhood in a real city before because they live in Holland, Michigan, and they probably never leave Holland, Michigan, except to go to Grand Rapids to see John Bon Jovi. Okay. So <laughs> they, they think that like if you see like a, a house that's in bad condition, like your city is now the ghetto and like your car mm. is going to get jacked or something. I it's see. racism. It's yep. straight up and down. <laughs> sure. It sounds like people who would be like, they would call something the bad part of town, but that's just mm-hmm. because it has like a Mexican grocery store and a place with really good tacos. And they're like, yeah, tacos are too good. It's got to be a bad part of town. It's a bad neighborhood, but the food's excellent, man. And then you go there and it's like, there's a Aldi and a Target here. And like, what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, enough about my local uh, area. Let's talk about um, something else that's personally relevant to me, John Fetterman. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and this is a this is a tweet from Joe Calvello, who posted the classic Bourdain on Kissinger quote. You mm-hmm. all know it. You all love it. I'm not going to read it. Um, but then people are pointing out that Joe Calvello is actually the director of communications and the consigliere for Senator Fetterman. Okay, cool. <laughs> so to have him out here saying that Henry Kissinger was a bad man because of what he did in Cambodia is kind of deranged considering the incredible full-throated support for the uh, genocide happening in Gaza that Fetterman has managed to, as he said he would, forge his own path on supporting Israel. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what path is that? Yeah. I mean, you're not kidding when you say full-throated. My man is getting that Israeli dick all the way into his mouth. (laughs) So far down. Um, It's it's deep in there. Balls and all. But, uh, (laughs) I mean, remember when he wore the Israeli flag as, like, a superhero cape at the March for Israel rally? The BB ball gag. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, putting out a full flag is, like, that's beyond just being, like, I support this country's, like, war politics. That's just, like... This country is my reason for being. This is my. Yeah. Is this what makes me wake up in the morning. Fetterman's it, wife is just like, "Can we please have regular sex?" And he's like, "No, put on the Netanyahu mask." <laughs> <laughs> Do you want the Netanyahu mask on or off? Off. <laughs> Always <Too bad>. on. <laughs> uh, now Fetterman is a guy who. Fetterman is one of those guys who makes makes me appreciate my stance on. Never trust any Democrat ever. Yeah. Um, because I remember fairly recently people being like, oh, he's cool. He's like a Bernie type guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. He, he loves weed. That's like his big thing. And look, mm-hmm. look, I'm no stranger to being vocal about loving weed in order to get people to like you. It does work. <laughs> yeah. But when yeah. Fetterman does it, it's totally dishonest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he likes weed and he uh, dresses like a dude who might wear like a drug rug on a Saturday while he's selling weed. And he looks like Lurch. Yeah. So it's so people were like, maybe he's like a real regular guy. I mean, I think this is like the thing that a lot of naive people forget is it's like you could have some like genuine beliefs or like maybe vaguely left leaning politics. And then you get into the government of the United Mm -hmm. States and people sit you down and talk to you. And they're like, if you don't support Israel fully, you'll get no money. Like, no, it's crazy because like if you, Talk to normies, Uh general people, about how they think politics works. Mm -hmm. And then you like inform them that there are multiple levels of backroom dealings where people Mm -hmm. are literally blackmailed 
and cajoled into behaving certain ways, they don't believe you. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. people really fucking think it's the West Wing out here where everyone's just having like debates behind closed doors or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The laying white out wing the facts. is just the uh, the the white wing is just where Socrates and Plato hang out and discuss <laughs> Yeah, politics. yeah. They're, they're doing the painting. Uh but you know that like there's I I always remember the fucking uh intercept one time put out like that audio of a Democrat, like a DNC representative, just like oh, talking yeah. like a mafioso to that guy Luke who was running. Oh yeah, I forget his name, but this he was, was back ju- in like 2016. But- yeah, they were just like, yeah, well, uh, we're not going to support you. We're going to support the, this other guy. And he was like, but why? Like, I could win. And they're like, yeah, we just don't want to. We like that. We like him better. He's more right wing, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it's just like, and this is an organization that nominally is like, if you're trying to, it's trying to get Democrats elected to Congress, and this guy was trying to run as a Democrat, and they're just like. Actually, in your case, no thanks. Yeah, they the, like p- both political parties, which I refuse to really differentiate, mm-hmm. but like are fucking biz like ma- mafia organizations. It's a business, like they, yeah. they function, mm-hmm. they function like mafia organizations. Well, and mm-hmm. I, I, I sometimes I think that like House of Cards might be one of the most honest depictions <laughs> of like the way of the way political parties in America work. Like they're definitely out there killing people for sure. Yeah. That's why they got rid of Kevin Spacey. They said, you can go ahead and be fed to the wolves because we accidentally put you in the most frank and candid depiction of American (laughs) politics. And we would like that to not be on the air anymore. (laughs) The same way, the same way that they forced uh, Turner Broadcasting and HBO Max to not pick up the Venture Brothers for any more seasons mm. because it was contributing too much to American cultural literacy. <laughs> <laughs> Venture Brothers is good. They I've heard. Like, Squid Game only. Mr. Beast 24-7. <laughs> Mr. Beast 24-7. But exactly as you're saying, like people think, oh, back when Fetterman was just the mayor of Braddock or maybe even lieutenant governor if you're super stupid naive, you think like, <laughs> oh, he was probably like a good-hearted guy who just wanted to figure out how to get things done but despite being like oh oh i put up a website for all of the abandoned buildings in braddock so we could rehabilitate them oh i'm only the part-time mayor i'm actually the full-time uh youth program coach or leader or whatever what did he do he fucking handed over administrative power of the braddock police department to braddock police chief frank de bartolo for the quote unquote sake of efficiency, despite the fact that as mayor, it's your job to administrate the fucking police department. So what does that say? That says it would have tarnished my image too much to make, to let the police do what they were going to do anyway, but I didn't have any fucking say in the matter. (laughs) (laughs) What a fucking freak. Moron. Brain dead idiot. But um, as long as Car Hart hoodies look comfy. I mean, whatever he wears one, I was like, I should get a should get a car hoodie. Looks nice. <laughs> I know a you lot of dudes who dress Fetterman, like huh? Fetterman, and it's a good way to dress. It's comfortable. It's fine. Like if you're confident in the way you look, wear cargo shorts and a hoodie. You will yeah, yeah. still have plenty of riz if you are a cool person. Yeah. Uh, which, which John is not. is not. Very much not, yeah. yeah. But he's comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that comfort. He's, no, he's, never trust a Democrat ever. They're your enemies. Mm-hmm. No. And um, as long as we're talking about Fetterman, I do want to talk really quickly about George Santos finally getting expelled from Congress. Oh, damn. The principal came down on his ass. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to have to transfer to a different school. This guy is hilarious. I love George (laughs) Santos. (laughs) Well, the funny thing is uh, John Fetterman, and we do actually have a clip about this, mentioned that he thought that Santos's lies at least were funny. But let's watch the, Mm. the clip that we have on Twitter here. It's only about a minute long. 
Now, George Santos is expelled expelled from Congress. Um, can they just do that for no reason? Or like, can they do that for whatever reason they want? Who who decides that? Uh, honestly, congressional procedure is like a brick wall to me. I do not yeah. even try to understand. I, pretend I think the I rules do not are made see. up. I think it's fucking... I th- <laughs> Who's lying? I think, I think it's yeah. fucking Calvin Ball. Yeah, yeah, why have they not, like, expelled anyone else before? Or, like, more like why aren't Republicans doing it to, like, get Democrats out of there that they don't like? Well, it's, yeah, wh- it's the whole, wh- like, sanctity of the game thing. It's like, if we do this too much, it'll seem like we're just doing it to win. And it's like, true. Well, shouldn't you be trying to win? Isn't that um, what the point is? Yeah. Aren't you trying but, to get power? <laughs> not that way. It'd be too mean. But, uh... Yeah, let's 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 check out what Fetterman has to say. One of the wise minds of our generation. All right, <laughs> go ahead and count us in. And uh, you've also been calling for to get rid of uh, Menendez, I know. Um, but first, before we talk about that, what's your reaction to the exp- expulsion? Well, it's like uh, I'm not surprised, but but to me, I think the the more important picture is is that we have a colleague in, in the Senate that actually did much more sinister and, and serious kinds of things. Uh, Senator Menendez, uh, he needs to go. That's uh, a good point. And if you are going to, he needs to go. Santos, how can you allow to somebody like Menendez to remain in the Senate? And you know, Santos's kind of lies were almost you know funny and like you know he you know landed. <laughs> on the, the moon and a guy kind of stuff uh whereas <laughs> whereas you know i you know i think you know, menendez i think is really a senator for egypt you know not new jersey uh, so i i i, yeah. I really think he needs to go and uh Damn, they really got a lot of christmas of trees on the view santos truly <laughs> uh, is not allowed to remain in the house you know someone like that yeah. are you though uncomfortable with the fact that there hasn't been an adjudication that while he's been charged there hasn't been a conviction menendez with menendez uh, I, I, I am. I, I am. And it's like he has the right uh, to, for his, his day in court and all that. But he doesn't have the right to, to have those kind of votes. He's got the iPad that, in front yeah. of him. That's yeah, not, yeah. He just like right. reads it. And, and I think uh, we need to make that kind of decision to uh, send him out. <laughs> and uh, my only question, Federman, is like by what logic does this not also extend to you? You are basically the senator for Israel, as far That's as anybody normal. can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, don't don't think about that, John. You'll give yourself brain damage. Like I get whenever I think about the fact that a teacher in Colorado had to sign a thing that was like, I will never cross the state of Israel to teach at this <laughs> high school, this public high school. Before you begin serving the patrons of this Stuckies, we have to ask you one very important question about the <laughs> Levant. <laughs> so just just for the listener and, and anybody who doesn't know, to uh in the rules, because oh, okay. there's there's rules. Yeah. Uh in rule eleven uh says that if uh you gotta you gotta petition that they investigate a member, um the the rules of the House of Representatives states that the Committee on Standards of Official Conduct can investigate allegations that a member violated any law, rule, regulation, or other standard of conduct applicable to the conduct of such member in the performance of his duties or the discharge of his responsibilities. Um, and so you just like, I think anybody can just like bring a resolution to expel or censure a member. And then... Um, once the investigation committee, some subcommittee has collected evidence, talked to witnesses, held an adjudicatory, adjudicatory hearing, it votes on whether the member is found to have committed the specific actions. And then if expulsion is a recommendation, 
the House, the full House of Representatives or Senate where members may vote, accept, reject, or alter the porch recommendation. Voting to expel requires the concurrence of two-thirds of the members. So all you have to do is just be like, get this guy out of here. And then if two-thirds of the House or Congress is like, yeah, fuck this guy, mm-hmm. then they're just out. And they don't usually like it's pretty hard to get two thirds. In 1861, they expelled 10 people. <laughs> nice. <Wow. laughs> and then in 1862, they did another six. OK. And then and then they didn't do another one until 1980. I wonder if that was because because back then people would just like pull out muskets in Congress. Maybe it's yeah. like, look, and he tried to shoot me. So I think he has to go. I think he fucking goes. And everyone's like, yeah, I guess I saw him do that. We got to kick him out of here. That, that would be funny to get those guys opinion on the Santos expulsion. And it'd be like, what? He lied about campaign contributions and tried to hide behind a mysterious baby that nobody is still sure where he got from or whose baby that is. That's normal. You should just leave that guy in Congress. (laughs) What's the deal with a mysterious baby? Oh, there was this thing where people were asking him, like, he came out and he was answering questions from reporters, but he was holding a baby. And they kept asking him, whose baby is that? And he would never give a straight answer. And then they asked him, is that your baby? And he said, not yet, and ran away. Wait, who did this? George Santos. I'm going to Google it because I haven't checked on it in a minute. George Santos, (laughs) baby. Um... He was like fostering a baby, maybe because he's gay, right? Well, that's also up in the air. People have been speculating. (laughs) Nobody knows. And I don't even know if that's as relevant as the baby. I'm mystified by the baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So uh, ran through a gaggle of reporters screaming at the top of his lungs while holding a two month old baby. When asked if the child was his, he said mysteriously, not yet. And then. Yeah. I, I can't find any information. It, it, the article says George Santos can't stop holding babies at work, implying there was another <laughs> baby holding incident. Was it the same baby? I don't fucking know. <laughs> baby wouldn't answer questions. But yeah, this was back in October. I think I briefly mentioned, I think I made a throwaway joke about it. But okay. uh, yeah. Maybe it's part of an elaborate Halloween costume. It's yeah. like a prop baby. In the last century, <laughs> only two people were expelled. One was convicted of bi- bribery because uh, okay. of the ab scam scandal. Oh. Um, which was Michael Myers. And then the other one was Jim Traficant, who was convicted on racketeering and tax evasion. Huh. So this guy hasn't actually been convicted of anything. He just lied enough that they're like, yeah, get out of here. Right. Before, though, there was like the only, the 10 was, the the, the 16 that happened in uh, 1861 and 62, there was just all Confederates. Oh, they well, were, there you go. They, they were, were like, just like, they supported the Confederacy and they were like, fuck you. Hell yeah. You're not in the Union. I didn't realize they actually Eat did shit. that. Uh, was it during the Civil War or like? After the Civil War. It was during. Oh, that makes sense then. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Also, Jim Traficant is my favorite character from the Earthbound series. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. And with that. On that note, uh, thank you so much for listening to BP Bledis. It seems like we could probably keep going for a while, but there'll be a bonus episode coming up soon for us to cover all of the other interesting stories in our notes, such as scientists trying to bring back the dodo and the Pope uh, being backed by Iran. But uh, if you want to listen to the bonus episodes, you have to subscribe on Patreon. So head over there if you would be so fucking kind. Uh, Listen to our other shows. Mine's called Work Stoppage. Brin's is called Generation Loss. Todd has a shop called Doomer.shop. That's also the URL. And as always, we love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.